Who Feeds Us from Farmerama, Episode 4, Whole Meal. My name is Abigail Hosbrough. I am the lead miller at Bricks and Windmill. I've been milling there for four years this year. I'm Rosie and I'm a baker in Bristol. I've been baking for maybe eight or so years now. I'm Rosie Gray. I have Reviving Food, which is a mobile microbakery using UK-grown grains and as much local ingredients as I can find to produce wholesome breads and pastries to feed the neighbourhood round about here. So sorry, that's someone just turned up now with their car. I'm just like being recorded for a podcast. I'm still open. That, I'm still open, but it's just that it's been recorded. At the start of lockdown, as people panic brought bread and then flour, those of us who might not otherwise have thought to seek out a local bakery, let alone a local mill, started to do just that. As we'll hear, this sudden upsurge in demand was a huge challenge for these small-scale bakers and millers, but it was a challenge they met with enthusiasm and ingenuity as well as a deep sense of responsibility to their communities. At one time, pretty much every town and village had its own flour mill, driven by wind or water. Today, across the whole of London, just one working windmill remains, Brixton Windmill. It's a unique heritage site with a rich educational programme, but as lockdown began, the mill became much more than a historic curiosity and its volunteers found themselves providing a vital service to the local community. Miller Abigail Halsborough explains. I suppose for us as volunteers, we were unsure if we were allowed to keep volunteering because before everything went crazy, we still had our regular orders that we wanted to fulfil. And we weren't sure if we could be classed as key workers or key volunteers or not, and we would be allowed out. And then the stockpiling started kind of picking up with people in supermarkets. And obviously, you know, besides toilet roll, the next thing to go was was flour. And so we had floods of emails and messages on Instagram and phone calls, not just the shops and bakeries that we'd already stocked in. It was new shops. It was some people literally just being like, I'd like to order X amount of kilos for my road. It was just a lot at one time. We we're trying obviously to meet demand as best as we could but we're all volunteers myself included and we very quickly realized we had to kind of put a stop on things so there was a lot of people that we turned away in terms of shops mostly because of logistics like all the shops that we're stocked in anyway are all in south london there were some in north london there were some out of london that were, were approaching us and it just got a bit ridiculous there are other mills around the country that are also if not completely volunteer run like mostly volunteer run and I feel like at the same time, we were all trying to step up and obviously meet demand for people who suddenly baking bread five times a week or whatever it was they were doing. But we've never milled at like full capacity or or higher capacity. We, We used to just mill once a fortnight. And there was a point at the start of lockdown where I was in the mill three to four times a week. Obviously, it puts a strain on us physically as volunteers, but then also our actual machinery It's really old. Some of the parts have been there since the early 1900s, and we don't want to damage what is a beautiful heritage building and machinery to meet such short-term demands. Before, if we, when we were delivering, it might be, I don't know, me or another volunteer just like jumping on our bike and dropping it down to the shop. But because we had so many orders, we had to get other volunteers to, to do deliveries and again, making sure that they're safe and they feel safe to do the deliveries. And yeah, it was a lot of emails. <laughs> For me personally, 
it was really good for my mental health. When everything around you feels like it's going up in flames, the panic that you feel and losing the things in life that kind of keep you grounded, whether that's like going to your workplace every day, or for me it was uni, or freelance projects that I had coming up that I was really looking forward to, all suddenly gone. Going to the mill that is a familiar space where I repeat the same process that someone's been doing for you know hundreds of years before me is quite meditative, and that is a good thing. And then when we started donating flour to the local food banks, Again, like it, it definitely did give me a sense of purpose because I felt like, yeah, I was doing something good for people in our very immediate area. So the, the windmill itself is literally in the middle of an estate, Blenheim Gardens Estate in Brixton. And that was the first food bank that we started donating to. And then we went a bit further out to Brixton, um, a Norwood food bank. This one woman got quite emotional when we were talking and she was just saying, you know, losing your job at a time like this and and depending on services like the food bank, you're obviously grateful that they're there and you're grateful for the people that can help out. But it's just this kind of shock and confusion that this is what things come to for a lot of families in this country. And it's just it just feels good to just, even if it's a tiny help, just to be helping. The farm that we buy our grain from, it's actually a collective of farms called Organic Arable, based in Herefordshire. They reached out to us. They were like, we've seen what you guys are doing and we think it's amazing. We want to donate some grain to you, a ton of grain, which is mad. Things like that, people have just really got behind us wanting to get behind other people. You know, as things start to pick back up and, and lives or people get more used to working from home, whatever the new thing is for them, you kind of assume and in a sad way that people stop volunteering or they'll volunteer less, but everyone's been really committed. And we were kind of worried we wouldn't have enough manpower, but yeah, people have really stepped up and it's been really great to see. Bristol-based baker Rosie Benson has spent the last few years investigating the connections between her bread, the farms that produce the grain, and crucially, the soil in which that grain grows. As lockdown hit, she brought together everything she's learned to provide nourishing loaves to the people who needed them most. She set up a bakery and called it Bread and Roses. The name Bread and Roses came from the idea of providing sustenance as well as beauty and dignity around giving people choice to the better food. It didn't really exist until lockdown happened. Because I'd been working for various bakeries, I wasn't actually a long-term employee, so I was a bit out of work. I was suddenly a baker without a bakery. But I was lucky enough to have access to some amazing grain, which Fred at Golfney Farm in Somerset and actually a couple of other farms had given me. With those grains, I had the chance to do something. And with the network that I have in Bristol, it all kind of fitted together very easily. And I just wanted to be making the kind of bread that I believe in. So using grains that I'd source, fresh milling as much as I could and using long fermentation. I found a setup of a bakery in the south of Bristol, which a friend runs called Ali. I could rent the space off him per day. I bought some secondhand tins and I started baking loaves that went out through the really brilliant Coexist Community Kitchen, which is based in Easton in Bristol. They've been making hot meals for people over lockdown and they ran a crowdfunder which paid for those meals and paid for a loaf of bread each week for people accessing the charities 125 and Second Step, which is a mental health charity in Bristol. 
there was money available to source that food and to work with some amazing producers. And I was one of the bakers that they chose, which was really great because I wanted to be making food at that time. There was this sense of urgency and I mean, there always is actually really with bread and with getting good food out there to people. Like so many people could benefit from having better bread that don't. Unfortunately, the funding for that came to an end a couple of weeks ago. So the last loaves went out to those groups then. And they went out to a bread subscription. So not just to the Coexist Community Kitchen, but to a doorstop delivery. Bread subscriptions are a great model because you've got a guaranteed customer base and there was people that really wanted to join the subscription when lockdown went into force because there was this sudden rush to to know where their food was coming, like this fear that it was suddenly going to run out or something. And it went out with some salad that was grown by Edible Futures in Bristol, which is an urban salad grower. A friend called Humphrey runs that. And then also another friend, Josh, he produces a plant milk called Tiger Milk. And the three things, so bread, milk, salad, went out together on the same delivery route, which was much more efficient and less time consuming than individual bread drops, because it's quite hard to make bread affordable when you've got to deliver to an actual door rather than people coming to pick it up themselves. By combining the three, it just made it more possible that we could keep doing bread at the price we wanted. Even though the number of loaves were not that many that were going to coexist community, I needed to combine those two jobs within the day and rent the space together because it it just made financial sense. I couldn't really afford to do it separately. It had to be that I was making bread that people paid for as well as giving my time to make bread that was subsidized so I think it would be hard to do just one or the other. That was all a bit of a whirlwind of what happened in three and a half months and it it was brilliant to be doing like it was it felt important and I was baking the kind of bread that I really agree with which was great and it was a real kick up the ass. With lockdown as well, it's really narrowed and focused me into into doing something that I care about and I'm really passionate about doing. I think always as a baker, you want to provide good bread. And when you're out of production, you've got all this energy that you need to put somewhere. So, yeah, it's the, the job of being a baker is really physical. It's a lot of moving around and you have to keep a certain pace going to be efficient. I think a lot of bakers, now that they've got some systems in place, don't fear a second lockdown as much. So that will be helpful because it is stressful when you know that people are relying on you for food or to access to good food. It's quite a stressful thing to go through, as it has been for so many people in different ways, lockdown, and continues to be. Meanwhile... At the other end of the country, another Rosie was also busy baking. Rosie Gray spent some of her childhood near the village of Kincraig in the Scottish Highlands. Shortly before the pandemic, she returned there to set up her own bakery in a converted horse box. So much of my life, I've had like lots of different seasonal jobs, been mobile a lot of my life. And part of putting in a horse box is to do with not really committing as well to being in a premises. 
But I live here and it's in the driveway and I'm really becoming much more settled within the community. I've been living here full time since January now. I've been based here on and off since I was about 11. But it's just really amazing now to get to know all these different characters and what they're doing. And I get folk come by to get bread, but they're like, oh, do you know a joiner? And I'm like, yeah, Jack's a joiner. And oh, do you happen to know a painter? Yeah, Pete's a painter. Today is the first day. Scottish schools are back today. So I'm open from eight in the morning and I had parents after the school run coming by and I've got builders on their way to work and like they're coming by as well. You get a right good chat and what kind of bread they like and what their opinions are on different things. It's really settled within the community like that. It's really lovely. But my mum was here at the weekend and folk were like, oh, it's really great what Rosie's doing. Like, because this village, it could very easily be a satellite place. There's the cafe and there's an outdoor centre that has a restaurant and now there's me doing the bread. So I've had a lot of feedback from folk just being like, yeah, it's really great that we can get food here. And like, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I'm making bread, but how much more that actually really is as well to it. Today was really cool because there's a, a little forest schools nursery. And so the kids all walk past down the street and they were walking by and they're like, oh, look what's happening. Because like today's the first day of that as well. And I was like, oh, guys, come over. So I had like seven, I guess like three or four year olds here out the front and I gave them some baguette to taste and they're going to come by one of them just complained because they didn't have any jam so they're bringing their jam tomorrow <laughs> and I've got wheat uh, that I got from Rupert at Torth the Tear when I was down in Oxford he gave me a bag of population mix from there so I've got some of that grown in the garden they come to buy the bread and they're like wait a minute you bake in here too I was like, yeah, yeah it's all in here you come up the ramp you see and then they stand and they watch I can be like oh sorry could you are you in a hurry can you wait a couple minutes and they're like yes so totally and they'll watch you load the bread in the oven and stuff too so it just closer connections to how how things are being done with their food so right so what's interesting is folk are like are you doing this because of covid i'm like well no i was gonna do this anyway but it's totally been shaped by covid there's been really bad parts to the whole lockdown and like because i've been living alone working alone and i really like speaking to folks so it's been pretty tough like that but coronavirus the positives of it has been that it has definitely shape the way that my business has evolved from selling bread in the pub and having another job to then guys do you want bread on Wednesdays and Saturdays I'll bring it to you so then I instantly like went overnight into sure I'll bake bread and bring it to your house tomorrow morning and that's how I got these brags printed these yellow bags so I just went around and hung them on folks door handles to then changing that to days because the weather got hotter so I couldn't do it overnight then with the cafe asking for more bread now I was like well sure they want bread when the cafe opened, this is literally three weeks ago now, and they want bread Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then Thursday. So I was like, okay, cool. Well, I'll do Tuesday, Wednesday, because I'm baking all those other days for the local subscription. So they pay monthly and they have their regular orders. But now folk just come by when they feel like it. So I was taking bread to some people twice a week, and it was only after four months I saw their faces because they were proper isolating, like shielding. And then they came out and it was like, wow. And it was turning into quite a wee loop. They'd come out, they'd take their dogs for a walk, pick up the eggs which were available for sale behind the cafe and then they come and get their fresh bread and so there's all these wicker baskets appearing and stuff you know as well. Folk have died obviously during this too so they were like kind of able to talk about that and like you just couldn't go around to folks houses and you know and be like oh I'm sorry about this or you know just all those kind of conversations were happening as well as like noticing different birds there's been mad amount of like little grouse chicks on the footpaths of like Monroe's that are normally really walked loads it's been really great to develop my role within the community 
that has so much responsibility to it like that to do with their people's health and i learned that from joe at riot ryan he used to talk about this all the time to do with like the responsibility that bakers have to do with sourcing of ingredients to do with like people should be able to just live not just live off your bread but you know your bread is their bread and so there's a responsibility right. to have like some whole meal in it or start or you know to think things through that it's not all maybe super white processed and sugary potentially but like yeah just keeping it wholesome and i just really love yeah just chatting to folk and finding out what's going on It's a really long process as a baker. Like you, you start by just getting your hands in the dough and then you learn about all these other things that you should be taking notice of. And it becomes more and more complex and it really keeps you in it if you engage with the farming side of it and creating a really interesting job that's sustainable and doesn't just wear you out. It's been a brilliant journey, especially in the last couple of years. Rosie Benson and Rosie Gray are part of a growing movement of bakers who believe that baking good bread tasty, nourishing, environmentally sustainable, affordable bread, means actively engaging with the ingredients, understanding where they come from and who produced them and how. They're building direct relationships, not only with their customers, but also with farmers and millers. It's an exciting time to be a baker. There's a definite thirst for knowing more and a demand for regional grain. Bakers are getting way more educated about the need for diversity in what they put in their bread. And then also trying to think about how to get that out to everybody and make it as accessible as possible. I was living out of a tent, working in a bakery in a living history museum for about five or six months. So that was last year. And that's when I really decided I want to make the bread. I want to make using the ingredients and getting to know the folk that's growing it and milling it and share the stories, basically. And that's what this has turned into, is doing it on this smaller scale and being based in a horse box in a village. There's a customer coming over right now, actually, as well. But, like, yeah, being based in a village in a quirky, bright yellow horse box, it kind of gets a bit of attention. And then I can start having these conversations and stories with folk. I'm very honest with people that I'm not a baker and I've never been a baker. I think for me, like bread, my mum's family are from Jamaica and my grandparents came here in the 60s, I think. And bread for us, there are different breads for different occasions. So hardo bread is, is our main bread and it's quite a stodgy bread, but there's a special shaped hardo bread that you have at weddings or christenings and it's like literally in the shape of like a, a swan or a duck and it's very decorative. And then this other thing that was like, I don't even know what it's called, it's just like this basically like a rock cake that my nan would make for us as well and yeah I think bread has always kind of marked out special occasions or special things happening where the family's coming together and you know someone's going to bring that along and yeah it's really important. I think obviously as a teenager and in my 20s I probably ate quite a lot of processed food as everyone else did a sucker for like a white muffin toasted white muffin but I think that's okay in moderation it's more that that shouldn't be the only thing available it was just a vehicle for the jam. Baking kind of links to so many parts of what nourishes me. I'm not always the most technically perfect baker, but I'm definitely one that's keen to keep evolving as a baker. It's not about perfection, it's about sustaining people. 
I'm not after the perfect loaf. I'm after a loaf that I believe in. I want to be part of a system that builds soil and looks towards future health of the planet rather than one that mines the soil and uh, ignores what's happening on the land. It was the same with like gardening and stuff too. You know when you just like totally find yourself in a new world and you just feel like you've got this opportunity sat on a plate right in front of you but I don't even know the questions to ask to find out. So I remember really feeling like that, yeah, to, to know so little, to not even know how to start asking. And now it's amazing to now be able to have conversations. I love old things and old buildings. I'm very invested in helping to preserve the physical objects and buildings, but also the stories of the people that have helped to make them what they are. I also drive the train at the Postal Museum. It's called the Mail Rail. And it's a miniature train. It goes underground. It's only got about 1.5 kilometres of track. But yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> We'd always kind of start around 10. It always starts with a good cleaning job. Any windmill or kind of bakery, flowery space, spiders love it. Ladybirds love it. Um, and any other crawly things. So we make sure we give everything a good sweep and sanitised surfaces. After that, we've got to make sure we grease the machinery. We've got really big cogs underneath the, the stones that we keep oiled. And then literally just dragging down a sack of grain or two sacks, depending on how much we're, we're milling, getting that into the machine, switching it on and just letting it do its thing. So once the machine's actually up and running, it normally takes about, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour for it to, to work through one sack of grain. We have a cup of tea in the meantime and then get in ready to bag it all up and we do all of that by hand. Then yeah, it's all ready for, for delivery. So I'd aim to get in there actually quite a leisurely start at eight o'clock in the morning. I'd done the leaven build earlier at home. The leaven build is the pre-ferment of flour going into the main mix of the dough. I'd work on my own, which is how it was safer during COVID. I'd mix up up to maybe 100 loaves in a morning using the mixers. So not that many in comparison to some bigger bakery production, but on your own, it feels quite enough to do, especially when you've got a very small deck oven to try and fit it through. And I just ferment most of the day, do all the packaging, do all the kind of organising of when it was going to go out. It was nice because I was making my own bread formulas, testing out ideas. I did a lot of scolds and porridges, sifted out different fractions of the grain and tried to kind of play around with some ideas that I had around using Emma that Fred had grown. So sprouting that and popping that back in the, the dough. So making something that was more along the lines of a whole grain bread, but still had some of the aesthetics of a whiter hearth form loaf for those, I don't know, 16 weeks or so of just playing around with some ideas that I had and having an outlet for all that bread rather than just doing one at home. I was able to be a lot more creative on my own. Well, I'm kind of running two schedules at a minute. So I've got one Rothko. I'm baking about 12 loaves at a time. I choose to have my local orders. So I'll start at six, mixing. Everything is done ambiently at the moment. So I don't have a big fridge to put things in overnight. So I start mixing at six, shaping at like 11 or 12, start baking things from about 2.30. People start coming to collect about 5 p.m. But I'm also then starting mixing for stuff that goes overnight. 
So I'll start mixing that. I aim for about 3 p.m., but it's often a bit later, so I still end up in here about 1 a.m., 2 a.m. I then nip out and do some deliveries about 7 p.m. I was delivering more by bike before, but it's kind of, it turned into more bread and longer distances. And then I asked people if they were nearby to come and collect. That's been a change. As lockdown eased a bit, I asked if they could come here instead. So this is the display, but there's not that much left in the display now. I made some rye bread, the baguettes have all gone. And then my scale, I've like weighed out the stuff of the buns. I'm drying banatons in the sun right now there. And then this is like the counter and it's all open. There's my van. It's all spread by word of mouth and like a bit of Facebook and whatnot. But, and I have a painted sign at the gate, which honestly is unbelievable. The amount of business having a painted sign makes. It's really obvious, but I think we forget about that sometimes because we live in such digital worlds that you've got this amazing online presence and all these followers or whatnot online. But are they the people that eat your bread? So when we get deliveries in the mill, you can get the truck as, as close as possible to the actual physical mill. But then in terms of getting it up three flights of stairs, before we used to literally like have to carry the, the sacks up the stairs. And now we've got a, it's like a winch on the top floor. So I go up on the top and I've got a harness on. I don't look cool at all. And then we lower big sacks down so that we can fill it up and bring it up. And yeah, it was just exciting, just like getting water. It's like, are there any more bags? It's like, yep, we got 10 more. And yeah, we were just all really happy that day. It was nice to hear from friends and farmers that had been pivoting as well. And it felt like we were supporting each other. This was a time of great change and it was uncomfortable, but it was helpful because there was the hope that people would appreciate flour and where it came from a little bit more. I think that's been a good part of it. What has been really interesting for me is ordinarily, you know, people that buy our flour, sometimes people will tweet pictures in of the stuff they bake and, you know, it's typical like sourdoughs or a lot of people do pizza, pizza bases and things like that. But I gave a bag of flour to a friend of mine halfway through lockdown and she sent me back a picture of doubles. It's like a, a, Trini, a Trinidadian. It looks similar to a dumpling maybe. You can fill it with stuff or just have it on the side of your meal. But I was really excited to see like yeah, a Caribbean dish made with Brixton Wimmel flour and I want to see more of that really. My top fear was loneliness, because when you start to feel lonely, then da -da -da, it just spirals and everything else starts to fall apart. And coronavirus forced that on me. So now I'm like, OK, cool. Well, I just done five months of loneliness. Now it's so lovely to have folk to chat to. And I think maybe, yeah, I do appreciate that and realise the importance of that even more now. Like every day is like a performance because I have all these characters that come into my life. There's nobody that comes every day, but they're coming multiple times a week. Yeah, that's what's really lovely. But there's honestly funny moments and ridiculousness. The stuff on the news, like, you know, there's so much right now that's really sad. But there's actually so many amazing things that have come out of this COVID stuff too, do you know? And it can all seem really dark very easily. And some days it really doesn't. It's like the sun coming out. For me, again, like on a personal level, I struggle with saying no to things uh, or like dealing with the guilt of saying no to things. My mental health, I've kind of struggled with that for a while. And there were some days during lockdown where I just physically didn't want to leave my bed. And 
telling you know the other volunteers or, or people you know if we've got deliveries expected to go out telling them that I couldn't go or like I wasn't feeling great I felt guilty or you know a bit ashamed because you feel like you're letting everyone else down and everyone's constantly telling you what an amazing thing you're doing and, and how great you must feel and like yes there are days when I felt like that but there were also days when I was just really worried about you know what was happening and, and what was going to happen in terms of my future and, and my job and, and all of these kinds of things that was tough and then I think if you, we've been asked a few times to do things like this like interviews and, and talking about what we're doing and that's good as I said because it gets the word out and we get a lot more people kind of volunteering and things like that the to-do list never ends and you, you get to a point where you're like, it's a lot. <laughs> Building a business around direct, personal relationships with suppliers and customers also helps everyone involved to understand the value of what they're growing, milling, baking or eating. I'm tired of the facelessness of food production, I guess. Working in a wholesale bakery environment, you don't have the contact with the customers. You don't see who's eating it. You get the feedback, but you get it through a delivery driver. But when they're standing right in front of you and they see your face and I see their face, I think that's part of what it is I want to do. It's accountability as well. My core thing behind it all is about like reducing our impact on the environment through food, through doing it on a human scale. I want to have the faces of the people that's involved with this on the wall. So this is my current rant I'm having at the minute. Everyone that's involved with growing the food displayed. It's not just me. Like I was just saying there to those folk, there's farmers, there's millers, there's, but you see me here and you see my bread, but there's all of this that's still faceless within it. Real folk and real food, engaging with people differently, working with telling stories and curiosity. It can get people questioning their choices of things. I can stand there and get angry and raise my fist about stuff. But this is another way of doing it that's maybe less confrontational. What we started doing with the food bank donations and when we've been dropping flour to the, the shops is giving these tiny leaflets. So the leaflets give people a bit more background about who we are and, and the mill and how long it's been there. All we mill is, is wholemeal flour. So the benefits is wholemeal flour. And also just some tips for people who've never really used wholemeal flour before, or even for people who've never used flour that's as fresh as ours before. So a lot of the flour you buy in the supermarkets, it could have been sat somewhere in storage for months before it's got to the shelves, whereas ours, I'm milling today, I'm milling at about two o'clock, I'll mill and that'll probably go out in the afternoon. And, you know, potentially someone could use that at seven o'clock this evening to bake something. And, you know, that, that changes the way that it reacts when you're cooking with it and baking with it. So, yeah, we've got these little leaflets we give out to people. They're not overly political, but I hope it, it gets them asking questions about where their food comes from and how it affects them. So I just put my prices up on the 1st of August there. By standing here and selling it all day, you realise a pound for a cinnamon bun is actually potentially too cheap. No, I don't know anyone else that's selling it for that. And that doesn't really include much of my costs. And so my country loaf is now 3.50. It used to be 3.30. And a pint of beer is about 3.50. So like as a point of reference, it's a, it was actually interesting to start with. But I have another situation where I've got friends who can't afford it. So we have different things on the go. So he takes really good photos and he's always on mad adventures with his bike. So he's basically my first sponsored athlete. <laughs> so he came by earlier today, actually. And he's just like, he'll tell me like, 
oh yeah, I'm going up this mountain tomorrow. Can I have a cardamom bun? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And then he goes and he takes a photo of it on the mountain or something, you know. So there's, there's things like that as well. The thing behind it is not to make money. It needs to make money, but the point of it is to feed the community here. And that's the priority behind it all. Um, so yeah, the prices have gone up by like 20p. You assume the person that's baking the bread is being paid fairly. You'd assume that. And so that should be the case. So what does the future hold for Rosie Benson, Rosie Gray and Abigail? From last week, I've been running something called Field Bakery and we have set up a workshop space on Fred's farm in Gothany and we bring people out there for day workshops where they learn sourdough and they learn how to use local grain. They get to meet the piglets (laughs) and they just have a really nice time away from the city and learn a little bit more about the connection with where cereal crops and diverse crops could come from. Once a month, I'll be doing a bake that that goes alongside when he puts out the meat boxes. And then people will be able to taste the whole farm, the grain and the pork. And I'll probably be freshly milling a lot of the flour that goes into that, using some of the grains that he's got available. Because harvest has just happened, which has been quite an exciting time to be down on the farm. Lots of working quite late, the floodlights on. Then, you know, when I was talking about my friend who'd made Trini doubles with our flour, I am very, very, very keen to get a Brixton Wimnall Hardo bread made. There are so many Caribbean takeaways and bakeries in the area who've been here for like 40 years, the same family running this, this bakery for that long. And I think that would be a really great way for us to connect with specifically Caribbean communities in the area and to be more visible as well, because the mill itself is actually quite tucked away. You can't see it even from the main road, you can't see it. So if we had our flour in those kinds of shops, just showing people again that we exist and we want people to engage, I hope it would help. my life now looks like and I absolutely love it. I guess I had a moment the other week where I actually phoned my mum and I was just like I have the display of bread that I dreamed of and I'm standing in my horse box with my music on chatting to folk with like bread that I'm super proud of. Yeah I'm having moments like every day at the moment kind of like that of just like how it's come about and how grateful I am to everyone else that's been involved and encouraging and supportive. All of their stories that come into this. I am where I wanted to be, but I would never have imagined the route it's taken to get to this. And I've got a bit of an idea as to where I'm going next. I guess that's another wee project working towards that, but it's still to do with like local food, more local food. Vegetables is another bit I want to kind of add on with this now. I feel very optimistic having these new volunteers who, as I said, continue to be committed and not only are they showing up and and doing things that need to be done, but they're coming to us with new ideas for things that we could do, new ways we can reach out to people that we wouldn't have otherwise thought of. In Kennington Park, there's this charity and they they have a few beehives, but it's also a community garden. And so they sell local honey, but they also make products out of the pollen and things like that. And I walked in and I was like, I'm really excited. You guys are great. And like, I want to do something with you. And they're like, you guys are great. We've heard about Rickson Wimble. And like that moment of just, yeah, meeting 
more people virtually or, or in person who are running things in communities and are excited about changing things and wanting to work with more people, it can only ever get bigger and yeah, it's going to be great. Everything should be linking back to the soil in terms of what we put out there to people and opening up our plates to more interesting food. We've narrowed far too much and it's time to rediscover flavour and experience and engage with where our food comes from. Find your local miller, find your local baker and ask more questions about where their grain is coming from, where their flour is coming from, importantly, because if consumers don't demand it, and as bakers don't listen to what's happening out in the field, then we're not going to have a future of good food, basically. Rosie Gray, Rosie Benson and Abigail are engaged in building a better system, a system that looks very different to the one that produces most of the bread we eat in the UK today. When inflexible, centralised supermarket supply chains buckled, they were able to carry on producing flour, baking bread and feeding people, thanks to the localised, adaptable, human-scale infrastructure they're part of. So how can we grow that infrastructure? How can we all become part of a more resilient, equitable, efficient and enjoyable bread system? How can we help Abigail stock their local takeaways with hardo bread baked with Brixton windmill flour? How can we follow Rosie Benson's lead and help people to understand that if they care about good bread, they also have to care about healthy soil? And how can we join with Rosie Gray in making sure that we celebrate everyone involved in making our bread and that we listen to what they have to say? In the next episode, we head to the West Midlands to hear how the pandemic has impacted community growing, identity and mental health, with a focus on communities of African and Caribbean heritage. This episode of Who Feeds Us was produced by Dave Pickering. The executive producers were Joe Barrett, Abby Rose and me, Katie Revel. Thank you to Rosie Benson, Rosie Gray and Abigail Halsborough for sharing their experiences. For this episode, the community collaborators who unearthed the stories were Col Gordon and Cathy St Germans. The project manager for Who Feeds Us is Olivia Oldham. Our artwork is by Hannah Grace and the original music for the series is by Michael O'Neill. Who Feeds Us is possible thanks to the Farming the Future COVID Response Fund. We're very grateful to the A-Team Foundation, the Roddick Foundation, 30 Percy and the Samworth Foundation for providing the funds to make this project happen. Many thanks also to Farming the Future advisor Dee Woods for her guidance in bringing the team together. I have a very distinct memory of, I had a Thomas the Tank Engine uh, egg cup um, my mum would make me, uh, like, you know, runny, soft-boiled eggs, and I'd have uh, eggs and soldiers, and she'd cut my toast into strips. <laughs> um, yeah, that's my earliest memory.